Well, good morning. It is good to have you all here this morning. We begin our service by singing the doxology, which is found in the red hymnal number 549, the doxology. number 698. The attitude you should have is the one that Christ Jesus had. He always had the very nature of God, but he did not think that by force he should try to become equal with God. Instead of his own free will, he gave it all up and took the nature of a servant. He became like man. He appeared in human likeness. He was humble and walked the path of obedience to death, his death on the cross. For this reason, God raised him to the highest place above and gave him the name that is greater than any other name, so that in honor of the name of Jesus, all beings in heaven and on earth and in the world below will fall on their knees and will openly proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Amen. Our first hymn this morning is number 112, When We Walk With the Lord. 112, When We Walk With the Lord. But we never came through the 
from the book of Ephesians chapter 2 beginning with verse 14 for he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of all hostility in his flesh he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed and regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. He did that so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it. When the Messiah came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building put together by him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are so thankful for just the praise that we can offer you through the hymns and the scriptures and the prayers that we have done together. And Lord, I would ask that we would just continue that praise in you. Help me now, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. So do you have relatives that you don't like? I'll raise my hand. I don't want any of you to raise your hand, but I'll raise my hand. I have, I have relatives that I just don't like. I don't trust them, and I'm always leery anytime they send me anything, either through social media or an email, wishing me a happy birthday or a Merry Christmas or anything like that. I'm like, the instant I get those kind of messages from those types of relatives, I always ask the question deep down inside, what do they want? Why are they being nice to me? Right? Well, you know, it's interesting, the scriptures that we've just read this morning... What's being explained here to the Ephesians is that Christ died both for the Jews and for the Gentiles. Because the Jews and the Gentiles did not get along. They hated each other for a variety of reasons. Because of religious practices, because of things that took place socially, because of different cultures that are revolved around them. And the Ephesians are being told that you are being reconciled to the same group as the Jews are being reconciled through one person, and that is Jesus Christ. And one of my favorite adages that I've said multiple times from this pulpit is that you can pick your friends, but you are stuck with your relatives. 
So we are one in Christ. Anyone who claims that they have salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, they are a relative. They are a brother and a sister in the Lord. And whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, we are to treat them as such that we are one in the Spirit, that we have been reconciled because of what Christ did for us on the cross. And I'll give you the definition of being reconciled is the restoration of friendly relations, a reunion, a bringing back together again, and I would say in that definition, as God intended it, that Christ is that person, is that agent, that reconciled the groups that were alienated against each other together. And that Jesus Christ is the person that brought us together and consequently you and I are ambassadors of that same reconciliation. I'm expounding that a little bit because I added some other stuff as I was reading about the definition. But you and I as fellow Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples, we are ambassadors of that reconciliation. So you and I are supposed to go out and remind others that Jesus Christ not only died for me, but they also died for you as well, regardless of whether we like them or not, or whether we have any type of relationship with them, whether they are alienated from us for a variety of reasons. We are ambassadors of that reconciliation. We are too are to bring others to Jesus Christ so they can become our brothers and sisters in Christ. But yet that is difficult for us to do. And one of the things that we have to accept in that reconciliation is we have to do a couple of things. Number one, for ourselves, we have to ask for forgiveness because of what we have done in the past because of our sins when we accept Christ into our lives. So we need to ask for forgiveness for that. And once we have done that, there's an element of trust that needs to be added as we've already read in the scriptures and the hymns that we've already sung, where we add the whole idea of trust. So when we ask God to forgive us through his son Jesus Christ, we have to also take that trust that he has given us and accept that trust that we know that God now should be the person that does those things in our lives according to his will, according to not our will, but his will. And then once we add that trust, you and I are reconciled. But it is difficult to trust something that we cannot see, at least in terms of visually, in terms of our senses. And I would say to you that the scripture that we have read this morning reminds us that when we become one in Christ, that a building begins to take place in you and I in which the Holy Spirit is there to grow in each and every one of us and to mature. Yet it's difficult sometimes because we want the will of God for our lives, but yet, Lord, we, as we talked about last week, God, we just want to see it. We, we want to be able to have some kind of physical proof that you are involved in our lives. But yet God, as we talked about last week, God has already provided that physical proof to us again and again and again and again. But yet we always seem to want something different or something new. 
Sometimes we ask God, can you show me in such a way that I would just fully trust you and obey you and everything? Can you give me one kind of absolute? And if we're honest with ourselves, and I have to be honest with myself, God has already given me those absolutes many times before. Aren't you in a quandary about that? I'm asked, I'm, I'm in a quandary. It's like, God, I was praying about something this morning, and I'm saying, God, can you just kind of give me that that absolute, you know, we're a combination of Gideon. And if you're familiar with the story of Gideon, right, he did the fleece thing, you know. Okay, Lord, if you really wanted me to do this, I'm going to, in fact, I even talk to people, hey, I'm doing the fleece thing right now, you know. Lord, I'm going to throw the fleece out, and God does what he asked them. They go, well, Lord, I'm not really sure. I'm going to throw the fleece out again. God, I want you to do it differently. But then other times we, we feel like, we feel like sometimes when, God is calling us to certain places and certain locations, and we say, Lord, I, I really don't want to go. I really don't like those people, but yet you want me to go there, to that location. We, we feel like Jonah, right? God, you want me to minister to those people, so I don't want to be Gideon today. I feel like more like Jonah. Lord, those people don't deserve you. They don't deserve to be reconciled to you. They don't deserve your salvation. And Lord, I know that if I go and if I talk to them, if I preach to them, they're going to repent. And Lord, I don't think that should happen. Perhaps you may feel and experience some other way that you want to show God in your life, that you ask God for some kind of miraculous we were joking last week about winning the lottery. Did anybody win the lottery after you bought those tickets? I'm just curious. Because huh? we were joking about it. And we had fun about it. And so the whole idea of that is, being that, putting that all aside, God wants us to be reconciled to him because within our own lives, he wants us to have that peace that we talk about all the time. We talk about it in our prayers. We talk about it in our hymns talk about it in the scriptures, we just talk about it within ourselves, we just want to have that peace. But to understand the reconciliation that God has for us, he gives us that platform, he gives us that cornerstone, that foundation, in which our lives can be stable, in which our lives can be secure, in which our lives can be solid. You know, I might be dating myself here, but when I was growing up, the word solid was really cool. Hey, man, how are things going, man? Things are solid. Solid. Anybody else here from that generation? Solid, right? Okay, I'm dating myself, right? Yeah, yeah, things used to be solid, man. But in the Lord, everything in our lives, if we understand the reconciliation, he wants us to have that stable life. He wants us to have that secure life. He wants everything in our lives to be solid. And the question I ask you and I ask myself, are we really living the way that the Lord wants us to live? Do we have that foundation? Have we experienced the difference that it makes to have that foundation, to experience the Holy Spirit working in our lives? Or as the rest of the world says, for the most part, those that are without Christ, that life is pointless. Think about that for a minute. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you don't have salvation in your life, then what do you believe in? 
Do you believe what some of the other philosophers have said down through time and history that life is pointless? Then what is your will to live? For those of us that have trusted Christ, our will to live should be in the person of Jesus Christ. That's my hope. And I trust that it is the same for you. Because our devotion to Jesus Christ gives us the framework within our lives that provides for us the meaning to maybe answer, not all, but answer maybe some of those questions that we have. The whys. And I ask whys all the time. And what's interesting, the whys in life, if we actually examine them, can give us an opportunity to measure the hows. Does that make sense? If we ask the why questions, it helps us to measure the hows. What is the purpose in this? Why helps us to deal with the how? Why helps us deal with the how in our lives? Because we have been reconciled. God has forgiven us. God has given us that trust. And because of that, we are one. One in body. One in spirit. One in truth. And the question I ask myself, and I know when things have gone bad in my life, when my expectations did not meet my plans, or I found myself in situations that I didn't understand how I ended up there, it just seemed to be God's will and God's timing, but I found myself blaming God. God, this is your fault. You brought me here. And I always think it's interesting when I talk to someone that particularly is either agnostic or is an atheist, that in the conversations that I've had with some of them, they're angry at God. And I ask them the question, if you don't believe that God exists, why are you angry with God? If you don't believe God exists, why are you angry with God? I know when I'm angry with God, it's because I didn't go the way that I wanted it to, or I find myself in a situation like, Lord, what is your will here? You got, I, I'm all confused about this. But the why helps us deal with the how. And if I don't have the answers to that particular question, and I think part of it is understanding that within our culture, our education system, we are so focused on reasoning everything out. And I'm not opposed to reason, but we're so caught up to it in our Western educational system that we follow the Socratic method in terms of always asking why. And if you think about your children or grandchildren, they're always asking that why question, right? Why, 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 why? Why does this happen? Why does this happen? And you, sometimes you want to say, would you stop asking the question why? Because you're making me think about answers. You're making me thinking about the how, right? Because the reason why the, the, the son or the daughter, the baby, the, the, the grandchild for us, they're asking the why is because they're trying to figure out the how. And the same way when we ask God, when we confess those things to God that we're trying to have some kind of answer, we're asking God really to explain to us the how. And sometimes God does, and sometimes God doesn't. At least not that we can understand it. 
But there is that part of us that we want to be intellectually honest with ourselves. We really want to say to ourselves, Lord, I know that there is just limits to my reason. And I think we have to accept that. It doesn't mean that we don't ask the why. It doesn't mean that we don't look to try to find the hows. But sometimes we need to be honest with ourselves and say, you know what, there's limits to my reason as a human being. And I don't understand many things that God is doing. I don't understand a lot of the suffering that I see in my life. I don't understand many of the questions about past events that have happened in my life. But God reminds me that in all honesty and as much as I can make that type of mental assent to understand in our thinking process, that we forget the fact of what Christ has done for us. We forget the first love that we had when we first came to know Jesus Christ as our own individual, personal Savior. I don't know when it was for you, but for me it was a long time ago. And I remember when I had that moment when I came to know Christ, when I prayed with my brother, my actual older brother, he actually led me to the Lord. But I remember during that time when my dad came down and he wanted to be a part of that, And I actually was angry with him. And I've never shared this story with anyone. Even Lynn doesn't know about it. But when my father came down to wanted to pray with his two sons, I rejected my father because of what he had not done in his life with me. Does that make sense? I know it's kind of difficult to kind of share with you what that experience is. But I rejected my father. Now, even though he was happy that I had come to know Jesus Christ, I remember with tears coming down my eyes, rejecting him, angry with him. And the side story to that is, many years prior to my coming, my birth, my father was very active in the church that he was a part of. And he really was hoping to be a deacon and my father did all the right things now this is my mother telling me this story after my father had had died and he did all the right things you know he was there Sunday morning he was there Sunday night he was there Wednesday evening he was there part of the prison ministry to go minister to people that were in prison he was doing all the right things and he was really hoping that he could be a deacon in this church And they decided to select someone else. And as my mother described it, it was someone that was a large donor to the church. And they made that person a deacon. And ever since that time, and I came later, ever since that time, my dad rejected the church. He would maybe come on Sunday evening, but he was always sitting in the back. He would want us to go to church, but he himself would not attend it personally and so when I went to with my brother to pray to receive Christ and my father came down I was angry because I can't explain to you why I was 11 years old at the time but I just remember that time that incident and I was angry with my father 
for some reason I felt that he was responsible perhaps maybe because it didn't come sooner or I was angry with his rejection of God I don't know I was 11 years old but I can only tell you emotionally what I experienced as I was accepting God the Father through his son Jesus Christ I was rejecting my own earthly father I regret doing that to this day I wish I could say, Dad, I'm, I'm sorry. Now I understand. But when you're 11 years old, what do you understand about your world, right? But I think within that, God wants us to experience the reconciliation of all things in spirit and in truth. And if you have some things in the past that somehow you have left undone and somehow you're looking for some type of reconciliation... God has said to me, and I would say the same thing to you, that those things have been reconciled because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And let the past be the past. Put it where it belongs. It is behind you, and it is behind me. And I think there's where we see the reconciliation. The understanding that as we follow Jesus Christ, and hopefully we love Jesus with all our hearts, hopefully we do our best to trust and obey, that we encompass that reconciliation and we make it a part of our lives. We incorporate it. Understanding who we really are. And there's a reason why in the church of Jesus Christ that we call each other brothers and sisters. Because we are part of that family. We are related to each other because of the Holy Spirit that's in your life and that's in my life. And yes, we can talk about whether somebody is really a follower of Jesus Christ or whether they are a carnal Christian. In other words, they come to know Jesus Christ and they only go so far in their life, but the world and all this other stuff, that's for another sermon. But right now, you and I are brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are members of God's household together. We are one. We are going to be living with each other for eternity. And it's important to understand that within that reconciliation, that you and I live by the Spirit and truth of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that we truly are a sanctuary individually for God. We truly are a temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells in my life and in your life. And it is there. And as much as I want to do some kind of intellectual gymnastics or some kind of reasoning some things, is there times as I experience God in my life that I just can't explain it rationally? And I believe that sometimes the way that we're educated in society takes us away from the imagination and the intuitiveness that God wants us to have. That's part of our makeup. And I think we overlook that. That we always want to have some type of intellectual, reasonable, rational answer. And I think that limits 
our understanding of God. It limits the working of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Because we are saying by our, by our own thought process that we know better than God. We are saying within our own reason and our, within our own rational thinking that God 2 plus 2 equals 4 and it doesn't any, equal anything us other than 4. And God might be saying to you in the presence of the Spirit in your life that there might be a different answer than 4 but that we are to trust him, trust him in those circumstances. And that is sometimes scary. That is sometimes insecure. Sometimes the foundation that we thought was stable and solid becomes shaken. And with our own fears, we say, Lord, I I just don't know if I'm going to take a step out in faith to do that. It violates my thought process, violates my reason, violates my rational understanding. God, you want me to take a step out in faith, and I don't know if I can do that. But we are reminded by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that perhaps maybe God wants you to do that. And of course there's always caution to that, and I I get all that. I'm not telling you to go out and do stupid and foolish things, but maybe God is telling you that. And I might say to you, that's really stupid. That's really dumb. That's really foolish. That really doesn't make any sense, right? We always want to use that term. That really doesn't make any sense. But maybe God is asking you to do something very special. And God is telling you that he wants you to witness to a certain person. He wants you to take a certain circumstance and provide something in a certain way. Consider those things. Because in that we see that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. That we want to respond the way that God wants us to respond. With truth. With honesty. With love. Compassion. With hope. Because in that we are truly saying to Jesus thank you for taking that reconciliation thank you for dying for my sins thank you for dying for everyone else's sins even for those people that I don't like those relatives that we have but thank you for dying for them on the cross thank you for my brothers and sisters in the Lord Thank you for what you're trying to do in my life as you're trying to build that sanctuary of worship within my life, within your life, so that we can truly be happy in Jesus, to trust and obey the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen. Let us take a few moments and prepare our hearts for communion. You know, it's something in which every time we do it together, it's a wonderful way to publicly recognize the reconciliation that we have in Christ, recognize that we truly want to trust and obey, and we want to be happy in Jesus. Let us pray.
our gracious God. Lord, we are so thankful for what you've done in our lives. And Lord, you have reminded us through the presence of your Spirit that when we are reconciled to you, that the things of the past are behind us and are no longer part of our lives. You want us to go forward living today in you and living the next day in you. And God, we, we do have questions of why. Lord, we're looking for the how. But God, I wouldn't trade anything for where I am today here in this chapel sharing your word and responding to the Holy Spirit in my life. And God, I believe that is the same prayer for each and every one of us here. And Lord, we praise you for that. God, we are just so thankful. We just want to just praise you more and more to be happy in Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake together. In the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us partake together. Our closing hymn is number 141. God be with you until we meet again. Securely fold.
how we are reconciled to you in all things. And Lord, help us to remember that, to make it part of our lives every day, because you want us to be one in you in all things. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. Oh